Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Another day, another glass of wine. Mi gente, it's a hard job, but I do it all for you. And today I am happy to share that this week's episode is sponsored by Aldina Vineyard's 2019 Rosé. Run by brother and sister team Francisco and Monica Lopez, Aldina Vineyards is an homage to their parents, Al and Dina. Hello. Although the label was launched in 2012, Al and Dina moved to Sonoma County in 1999 after selling, you guys get this, Lowrider Magazine. <laughs> and there, Al planted a hobby vineyard around their 40-acre estate. As the vineyard flourished and with fruit, the crop was sold annually to other wine producers in the country, while Al saved a small portion to make his own batch in his barn. This quickly became the family and friends' favorite wine. Well, now they produce different varietals from Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, and a rosé that was featured as part of our virtual wine tasting. Not only did everyone finish their bottles, but they all said it was the best rosé that they had ever had. I'm not going to lie, I agree with that. It's not really sweet, which you know I appreciate, and it's crisp enough to enjoy on a warm summer's day, and even if you're just feeling like something a little bit cold. So for more information to order Aldina Vineyards wines, go to their website, which is Aldina Vineyards, that's A-L-D-I-N-A vineyards.com for more information and to purchase a bottle. Enter code wine and cheesemit for a 15% discount off of your purchase. Let it use this opportunity to support these Latino winemakers and small businesses. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheesemit podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yankis. This week, my guest is my friend, Will Murphy. Will is a former media executive that retired at the age of 40 to step out on faith to write, speak, travel, and become an expert in the world of marketing, brand, and digital. He left AH below. He left AH below after producing some of their most successful products. He had a real estate company and a party business on the side that hosted private events for successful young professionals such as Super Bowl day parties, chef events, and high-end cocktail tastings. He has self-published two books, spoken around the country and in West Africa. Will focuses on helping high-energy sales executives and entrepreneurs achieve their goals faster. Quietly, he has done several projects for large school districts relating to reading and STEAM. 
He loves to find ways to give back and impact the next generation. Also, Will left corporate America to start his beautiful family, which I am fortunate to know. Him and his wife, Vero, are raising their little princesa that they call little chica because she has beauty and brains. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. California, whatever. <laughs> well, We're doing well, Cali today. Yeah, well, good. As you should, an homage to me does. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to see your face. Oh, uh, it's good to be seen. You're a little bit quiet. I don't know if your volume is down or what's the deal. Hang on one sec. You know, I've never been accused of being quiet. Well, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, no problem. We figured out. Don't worry. I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I always am. All right, there we go. We got all these light points and lights here and the lights there and the light has to be all these places. Oh, we got another bottle in. You're in trouble. Oh, all right. Okay, well. Let's now, just... this one's from New Zealand, so we stepped up the game, but I'm going to get my calorie in first. You got both. You got both. Well, like I said, it's good to see your face and everything. But you, I know you just you're ready to get into the wine. So yeah. why don't you tell me what you're drinking, and then I'll tell you what I'm drinking. All right. So um, first of all, I've got this Meridian that I, that was just gifted to me by a candidate that was just running for office and won in this beautiful election we just had. Um, and it's a Meridian Chardonnay. It's from Cali. Um, I can't tell you anything else about it now because <laughs> it's not one that I normally would go out. Well, I see that it's almost gone. Is what I see. Yeah, yeah, we, we yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. In fact, let's just go ahead and uh, finish that. Well, <laughs> I'm pouring that. I what I have here is an Aldina Vineyards 2019 Rosé from Sonoma County. They're out of um, Santa Rosa. Oh and wow! Then, I love it. Yes, this wine is actually one. It's a it's a rosé of Cabernet Sauvignon. Nice. So this is one of the wines that we had for the virtual wine tasting. This mm. is the last wine that we had for the virtual wine tasting. So, you know, got to support the peeps. It's actually a Mexican. The, the vintner, the winemakers, they're actually a Mexican-American vintner. That's good. That's excellent. Yeah. So it That's says... Important. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it says our rosé of Cabernet Sauvignon has fruity aromas of berries and bright raspberries. This rosé invokes the palate with vanilla hints, toasted oak, and stone fruit. All right. So let's see. Just <laughs> to you. Salud. Salud. It was that a thing. And over here, it's actually hot today. It's... I mean, I'm kind of locked in my little space, but it's yeah. like in the mid, like mid 80s today. So this is actually perfect. Yeah. Cali? Wow, that is warm. Yeah, it was warm here too, but you know, Texas is always hot. Yeah, well, Texas, the you just, I remember moving to Texas and people were like, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. <laughs> and it's so yeah. true. It is. Yeah, so moving here from Cali is, I mean, a lot of people are coming here, you know, because cost of living is cheap, but 
the weather is not the same. No, I mean, I did the opposite, right? I mean, I can't, I got there before everybody was moving from California. I moved yeah. to Texas. Now that everybody from California is moving, I moved back to California. I know, right? <laughs> and Cali, I mean, Cali people are moving. They are, they are coming in droves to Texas. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, Look, I love Dallas. Dallas will always be a part of who I am because I lived there for part so of the journey. long. Yeah, for sure. But there is no other place that I would rather be than in San Diego. Yeah. But this is the first year I haven't had it. I didn't visit. I visited last year. I visited every year since I've been gone. But I, because of the pandemic and stuff, I wasn't able to visit this year. Well, this year is hard to visit. I mean, and, you know, we're a hot state. So yeah. <laughs> you better take us a real chance. Although <laughs> I have some cousins coming in from Cali next week. And uh, I'm just like, I put them up in a place that's going to be cleaned and they're going to have their own space, you know, um, to, to maneuver around. Because I just, it's so... It's so tricky right now. And it's so you know, I did a book over the weekend and I literally had the mask on dying the whole time. And I was like, man, you know, but you can't take a risk because unfortunately this is this is like an ugly STD. You don't know if somebody's got it by looking at them yeah. or not. And you don't know what you, I think the scariest part for me is, you know, when people get it, you don't know how your body's gonna react to it. Right. right. Like you know, if you have the flu, you know what to expect with yeah. this you don't know what to expect you don't know how your how your body is going to somebody else could go through it and just it not be that bad and you could be completely different for me that's kind of the scariest thing but yeah dude let's get into the cheese man my friend yeah, thing. hold on let me pull up just a little closer that way since we got a little bit of a volume thing i'll be able to hear you yes you know, we people like me, we, we get chances to speak all the time, but the pandemic has kind of shut all that down. So but you, have, you, know, you don't these get are, chances. These are like heaven for us. We're like, ooh, ooh, can I can I get a chance? Can I go out? <laughs> Coach, put me in, put me in. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I knew I wanted to speak to you when I launched because I, I reached out to you a long time ago. We've been friends for a long time because we I used know. to work not together, but in the same area. Yeah. And, and you used to be in my office every day, forever and ever. <laughs> hey, we're both talkers. It's not like you ever pushed me out. It's not like you're like just anything. You're like, oh yeah, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it made it made um, it made corporate America more fun because you know when you get into that corporate setting, everybody's all stuffy and and uh, you know sometimes you just you need a break and and you know you and like. Uh, um, a couple of other people were just like the opportunity to just chill out, you know, from all the craziness that was going on. Plus, we were both launching like new products that this company had never had. And so we all this pressure, you know, to hit numbers and do all this other stuff. It was just too much. It's so crazy. Well, tell me. So we'll go into into all that and everything. But I like to start with people's stories. Right. Not just where you are now, but where you came from and, and your journey to where you are right now. So I don't, actually don't know a lot about you growing up and everything yeah. and how you grew up and the things that you envisioned for yourself, like what kind of kid you were. So, like, tell me, I, I can't believe I was just thinking that I was like, I don't even know this about Will. And I've known him for like 14 20. years, something like that. Did you say 14 
You met me when I was one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, I don't think say that because then I'll be contributing to a minor. I can't do that. You got to at least uh, be true, 21. True, 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 true. <laughs> I think the crazy part about me is that um, when most people hear where I'm from, they're typically kind of shocked because I grew up in Houston. And um, I grew up in the middle of South Park, Third Ward, and then we spent a lot of time in Fifth Ward. So every element that you could ever think about from banging to drugs to you name it, I saw it, I lived it, I was around it. I've watched crackheads run down the street. I watched a, a beautiful middle-class neighborhood turn into a horrible neighborhood because of you know the drug epidemic that hit in the 80s and 90s. And, um, but I was blessed and fortunate that um, my parents kind of had this creed between themselves that no matter what change, they were always going to push for us to have a better life. So we got to live in a big house um, in a nice area. And uh, no matter what happened around us, it was like we were able to push it out. In fact, I always tell people, to considering where we grew up, I still have four female doctors that grew up on my street. And they're all practicing right now. So we, we had a set of values that we lived around that kind of made things better. And you have to do that for your kids. You have to shield them from the dynamics of the world. And I feel I feel very proud to say that my not only my family, but our neighbors really they put it down for me to make sure that I, you know, I came out okay. What and I played football, those? I was an athlete. I was I was that dude. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't shock me. What what do you think? Like what were those foundational values for you? Uh, the, the first and foremost is friendship, like really knowing how to be a friend, how to be a neighbor to people. And I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, there was a lady who lived next door to me who literally, um, when my mom had to work, like my parents got divorced when I was in third grade. And there was a period after I left, my mom was just working her butt off, you know, she wanted to have more money put away and she worked late nights and she has, you know, a neighbor that literally would make dinner for her, call her and say, Hey, I made you some dinner. If you're hungry when you get here, just let me know you're on your way. But if not, I'll put it in the freezer for you and you can eat it next time. And I mean, to me, that 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 is kind of like unheard of that a neighbor, you know, actually includes includes you and thinks of you like that. But we had several neighbors that were just like that. Um, the lady who lived right next door to me was an older lady. We called her grandma. And I literally she treated me like I was one of her grandkids. And uh-huh. I would go to her school her house every day after I got out, you know, school. Let her know I was home. And she'd be like, well, do you want to stay over here? Or do you want to go home? I said, no, I got to go home and do my homework. She okay, make A's. And if you want to come back here, if you get scared, because I live in a big house, she's like, if you get scared, come back. So I had a lot of people around me that were like, whatever happens, we got your back. And they understood that from my parents. And so I'm very loyal in that way. I believe that um, you have to put, you know, put it down for the people who are around you. And I believed in believing, you know, really helping people come up. And you've seen that. I mean, you've seen examples of that. Even in corporate America, I um, I did everything I could to make sure that people got promotions, that they got hired, that they that they were able to change their lives. And I think that's what's one thing that you know our communities are really missing right now is the black and brown community. We get we get paid, and then we leave the hood, and there's yeah. no way to bring us back to the hood to make things work. And so you got to really try to try to figure out how do I bring something back and keep things alive for people who didn't make it out. Yeah. That's so crazy. We, I literally was just having that conversation the other day about what happens when 
our community gets money and like you said, moves out of the community and then maybe the, that money is not reinvested, right? To help people. And that's why you have certain things like, I, actually what I said is just like there's an area like Oak Cliff over here, it's called um, Barrio Logan. Yeah. And, and I was saying, I would love to be able to, to prevent like, this area to be completely gentrified. If I had the opportunity and I had the money, I would love to be able to just buy one of those buildings to make sure that our community still had businesses. They were still able to stay there without having to get run out, right? Um, you're seeing a lot of that in different communities of color where people decide that's the next up and coming area. And then the people yeah. that have grown up in that area get pushed out. Uh, well, gentrification only happens because we don't own. Exactly. And ownership is a big part of it. But I think where we got confused along the way, too, is that um, we were told that ownership meant to buy your own home. But ownership actually means, I mean, I have my great-grandfather on my mom's side, he was, this, he was, he was an interesting dude because in, in 1860, he bought his first piece of land, which, you know, slavery wasn't over. So he was a freedman, bought land in one of the most racist areas in the country. And the thing that I learned from, from that part of her family is that land matters because in you know like 1940, they discovered oil. And so they had all these opportunities because of that land. And I think that that's one thing that as a community, we've got to figure out a way, even if we invest together, partnerships to buy more land and just hold it. I mean, really wealthy people in other communities, they're wealthy, part of it is real estate and they hold the land for years. One of my mentors, he's got a, a 2000 acre ranch and he got it from holding the land, just holding it. Or 20,000 acre, I'm sorry, he's, he's a baller. <laughs> I think it's learning how to do that because I, so many of us are not even taught that, right? Yeah. At a young age. So what would you say your like biggest obstacle when maybe it's not, cause it doesn't sound like you got involved in all of those other things, but what was your biggest obstacle that you felt like you had growing up? Well, I mean, I did get involved in some of those things, but I also knew when to walk. I mean, I, I have homeboys that, you know, when we turn 16, they like to joyride, you know, and they would, they would, they would still call me a homeboy that was, he was really good at it, you know, and there's many Sundays, you know, I mean, back when I was, when I was growing up, we did Sundays at the park, you know, and you have to, you have to pull out your whip. Everybody had nice cars. And, and so, you know, part of it was the, like this desire to have a nice car really early. Cause your car kind of defined you. I mean, I know people, we knew them more by their car than we knew them, knew their name. And they were like the neighborhood legends. So, you know, I faced that same situation of wanting to have those things early, wanting to get in. And, you know, one of the things that really happened for me, the crack era started like right when I was in high school. So, I mean, I had literally dudes asking me, you know, Hey, when you go to college, you know, just, just roll with this and do X, Y, Z and, Man, you have all the money you need. And I had to like stop and go, okay, this has been my homeboy for years. First of all, I didn't know you were doing that. Second of all, like, uh, what do you think that I would want to kill my community? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I think that's the other thing is the moral thing. Like, I realized that drugs kill. Um, my father was an alcoholic, my brother was multiple substance user. Um, and his addiction, I think, you know, regardless of how it impacted our family, seeing them at a very early age, you know, go through addiction, I think it really helped me kind of say, well, you know what, there are other ways. That 
So I didn't experience that with my parents. I experienced that with my uncles and my cousins and stuff. So I feel like when you see that, when you're around, you know, when you've seen it, it, it does one of two things for you, right? It either draws you in or you're like, they're an example of what I don't want to be or, and so that's how it was for me. Like, I was like, "Mm, I don't want that for me because you just see, cause you got to see the ugliness. Like I didn't see them balling. I saw them going to jail is what I saw. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I saw the balling. I mean, I I saw dudes that, you know, I mean, I, I never forget. It was the summer before I graduated and, um, Oh, no, it was the summer after I graduated. That fall, I was going to be going to school. And one of our homeboys, we, were all, we used to like hang out at each other's houses, you know. And one of our homeboys pulled up in this uh, drop Chevy. I, y'all had them in, in Cali, too. You know them just drop Chevy oh, yeah, trucks yeah, yeah. with the yes. rim? Yes. And he had cut the top and had a rag, had a blue rag top. This white truck, pearl white, blue rag top, brand new rims. His system was like he could hit a remote control and the top would go back and the system would come on. And the seats were Ricaro's. We was like, you know, it was like, wow. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, he ended up being one of the biggest in the game. And, and I see him now when I go to Houston, he's retired, which is really scary that you can retire from the game. Um, and he's one of the lucky ones because everybody else that got involved with him, gone. So, I mean, I've seen both sides of it. I've seen people who made it and I've seen people who didn't make it. What I, what I realized very quickly is it causes you to have to look over your shoulder a lot. You know, you have to chase your shoulders and just look back. Now, I'll tell you, in corporate America, the same thing happens. You know, you still have shady people that that bring bad deals to you. And, and you know, the legal system is built on lawsuits and, and business, you know, because mm-hmm. people come up to the table and tell you they want to do something and then they don't live through with it. And then they want to come back at you and do whatever. That's all part of the life. And I'm just I'm blessed, too, that I think my junior year. Yeah. This lawyer told me that he would pay me to come and just work around the office. And that that really helped me. You know, he, he paid me to, I cut the yard, I took, you know, files down to the courthouse. But what he was doing was he was showing me a different a different system. He was showing me some different stuff. And it, it really, really helped me a lot. When you went to, first of all, where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? So I ended up going to University of North Texas. I got accepted. Oh yeah, go Mean Green. I forgot. Duh, we're both alumni. I got accepted at SMU, and well, I take it. I got accepted in Morehouse. I wanted to go to SMU because at the time I was playing football, and I wanted to be SMU Mustang football player. But they, the I think it was my senior year, my junior year one, they got the death sentence. They got the death penalty, and it was the only college I wanted to play for. Like I had been wearing pony T-shirts under my jersey, you know, and you know, I, I, I was like SMU or die. And, uh, and they died. So when they died, I was like, oh, wow. So I applied to, I was, I was a pretty good student, you know, um, gifted and talented. And, uh, and that's weird, you know, that I actually was smart. You know what I mean? Like, even being in the hood, like, to just have that, like, you got to study. Regardless, you still got to study. No matter what's going on, you got to study, you know? I don't and, think that that's not, I mean, yes, you are smart. But I think that's discipline. Because there's a yeah. lot of people in the hood that, are smart. They're just not disciplined or they allow themselves to get distracted by other things and not study. So there's a difference. Yeah. yeah and football caused that football. I will be honest. It, it, it and track gave me that discipline to kind of like say, okay, you got to do this this way. And so, um, I, I literally was very dedicated and I like being fast because I was very fast. I was one of the fastest kids in the city. Um, all that stuff motivated me to go after it. And that same discipline 
has helped me now in life. I mean, everything that I have achieved came from that rigorous discipline of being in the same place at the right time over and over and being consistent. And so, yeah, you're right. Discipline really, really, really does help, you know. And it's funny because I remember kind of learning how to play the game there was this guy who was in front of me on the football team, right? He was like number one. I was I was second string, right? And so he liked to party. I mean, he liked to party, party, party. So I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to invite him to every party. I invite him to every I was like, hey, man, you heard about this party? You heard about that party? I ain't going to none of those parties. Oh, I was my like, I'm going to invite him to every party. And we had this law in Texas called uh, House Bill 72, no pass, no play. And I made sure that he didn't pass. Dang. <laughs> You're cold. And I was first string and made it to the playoffs. But you know what? It was one of those things. I, I'm laughing about it now. But at the time, I, w- I was just like, man, he liked to party. I'm going to make sure he party. That was your hustle. That was your yeah. hustle then. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a good thing. So when you moved from Houston and, and the neighborhood and the area that you went, and you moved to Denton, went to UNT. Yeah. What was that experience like? And what, like, did you see any anything different? Did that open your eyes or make you see anything differently? Yeah, it was it was a culture shock for me. It was a total culture shock. Denton, when I first got there, I was I mean, I was I was used to living in the city, you know, and and Denton is one of those places is eclectic. It's it's just different. You know, I couldn't I, I my first year or so I was rebelling. I would go home every single weekend. They had this uh, Southwest Airlines had this college student flight you could take for $25. And I'd be on that flight every Friday, headed back home. Because <laughs> I was like, they don't party the same. You know, it was just different. And then I grew up. I had to I had to grow up. Um, my brother was struggling with the end of his addiction during that time period. And so I was going home and having to try to find him and, you know, just, just different stuff. And so Denton became kind of this in-between spot for healing because like there was so much going on at home. And I had to, and I had to take the calm of Denton to kind of create a peace place for me, um, so that I could could navigate life. But it was tough at first. It was not my, it was not my city. No. I mean, I never lived in Denton, so I commuted. Really? Between, no, I commuted between Dallas and Dallas and Denton. Yeah, you were lucky. There. <laughs> well, now Denton, Denton is like a party spot. Now they have all kind of stuff. Oh, I mean, it was when I was going there for sure. But I mean, I was working, obviously I was working and going to school. So I working and living in Dallas and then commuting over to Denton. So I would sometimes, you know, if there's traffic, I would sometimes take me an hour plus to get to get to school. But, you know, when you you want something bad enough, you do what it takes. Right. When you graduated, what was your because we met when we were when we yeah. both worked at AH Below. So what was your career path to get to when you finally when we finally met at AH Below yeah. after you graduated? So there was a crazy point when I got really frustrated because I was an accounting major and I absolutely hated accounting. But I only majored in accounting because my dad was like Yo, you can't be doing that art stuff, you know, because I was really good in advertising and taking pictures. I've been taking pictures since I was 13 years old, you know, took my brother, my older brother's camera so that I, you know, could learn how to shoot. And I was like, you know, I knew that I was going to be like an ad executive or something like that. But my dad was like, what's an ad executive? He was like, wait, what is that? What, what kind of money do they make? And I, I had no response because I didn't know any ad executives, right? So I majored in accounting and I struggled 
because I picked the wrong thing. And it was my first life lesson that when you engage your gifts in something that's not for you, you're not going to do well. You're going to have, that should be your first sign that you're in the wrong thing is that, you know, you're engaging your gifts and you're struggling. That is your yeah. first sign that you're in the wrong space. And so, um, I majored in accounting and I went to a lot of accounting banquets and events and all that. And then, uh, when I graduated, I said, okay, I want to be a financial planner. So I, I, I went for a job as a financial planner and I met this headhunter and he was like, man, you've had some great experience. You got an internship while you're in college. I was like, yeah, 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 you know, whatever. And I was literally like, I'll, I'll probably go back to Houston. And he called me one day and he said, I don't know if you want it. He said, but I got this job with this media company. And he said, I know you talked a little bit about being in advertising and all that stuff, you know, at some point, but this might be a good opportunity for you, you know? And uh, so I said, okay, well, you know, I'll give it a shot, right? So this is my second year out of college, right? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm scrambling, hustling, make sure I pay off a little bit of money that I owe them how much. And uh, and I went on this interview, and they took me to the top floor of the, you know, that big building they used to have, that below building. Yeah. They took me to the top floor, and they and they brought me in this office, and they said, "This is gonna be your office." And I looked out at Dallas, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what? Are you serious?" Uh, was, I mean, it was a baller, like mad baller office. Um, I only was working with top executives and I kept thinking, how did I get this right out of college? Like I'm, I'm a year or so out of college. How did I get this? So I took this job as a financial analyst and, you know, I was meeting all the top executives, hanging out with the chairman. You know, it was like literally one of the greatest moments you could ever have. It was a blessing. And this one executive in the TV side, he loved me. Like he, he would come to his office every week. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? How was your week? What, what happened? I tell him. And he's one day he said, what would you really like to do? And I said, well, you know, I'd love to go and like learn how to run a TV station. He said, really? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, well, um, he said, when do you think you could go down? So I took my vacation time and I went and visited TV stations, right? And just sat in the control room, watched the news come on. So then I was like, I want to be GM, you know? So then when I came back, he was like, well, how would you like to be like a top executive at this company? And I was like, that would be great. So he started, he sent me on a tour of different parts of the company. And then once I finished that tour of different parts of the company, I had an opportunity to work in marketing and finance. And it just, from there, it was like a snowball of stuff just happened. They wanted to start new products. They wanted to do all these things. I was only really the only African-American male around. So I think that has something to do with it as well. Um, I think there was one executive like the way I dressed, which is kind of funny, you know, like they picked. I mean, you are meetings. a sharp dresser. That's for they, sure. He liked the way I dressed. So he was like, man, I want you to be in our meetings. And I kind of was like, wow, he wants me to be in the meetings because I dress nice. All right, whatever. And from you gotta there. Gotta take your opportunity, right? Wherever yeah, it takes, you gotta, you gotta take grab it. it. Yeah. And so from there, we launched successful products. Um, next thing I know, I was getting this outstanding uh, employee award. I worked my butt off. I, I mean, I stayed late, came early. And I let them show me what it was like to be like strong and the best. And I, and I literally would just watch the best executives and they would, and then it would bring people from Harvard and all these other big schools. And we would sit there and get best practices off of them. And I mean, it was just great. And that's how it happened. I mean, and, and then I left because I was like, okay, I've done this. That's so crazy because I mean, I remember when I was, cause I worked for Aldea, the Spanish language newspaper yeah. and I would go into, and you always were like, oh yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. Like you always 
had a grander vision for what you wanted to do. Like yeah. literally since the moment I met you, you were like, oh yeah, I'll do this for a while, but I'm getting ready. I, I, I even remember, I think you saying, I'm getting ready. Like Jess, you're one of the few people that actually calls me Jess. Jess, yeah, I'm gonna get ready. It's gonna, what? just watch. And I was yeah. like, all right, cool. But you, <laughs> you sold it to me because I was like, yeah, all right, cool. I'm sure you are going to do stuff because. Well, you know, on the side, on uh, it is a part of every trip everybody out. On the side, I had a party business and I was doing real estate. So I was trying to buy properties and the party business. What got me was the party business. I expected it to do OK. And then we, we got to a point where we were doing parties and making 15, 20,000 a night. And I was like, whoa, uh this is great, you know? And, and so I had a real good crew. That was my homeboys from Houston. They were really smart, like amazing people who uh, <laughs> who knew how to do a lot of stuff. And so the creative ones just like helped me do stuff. That is so, so what point? Cause obviously you officially retired. You like yeah. stayed all, you did your whole corporate career at Below, right? Um, I did a large piece of it there. Yeah, so, I did about 15, let's see, almost 16 years there. You have, quote unquote, officially retired at 40. From that part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yes, from corporate. You officially yeah. retired from corporate, which I feel like a lot of people want to do, but there's a lot of fear associated from that, right? There's a lot of fear that I think a lot of people have. So what prompted that decision and what were you most afraid of by leaving corporate and starting to do your own thing? You know, I, I have this this homeboy, um, Von B, RIP, man, he was he was the man. He he was the one that helped coordinate all my parties. And he was from Houston. He would fly between here, Dallas, Houston. And then um, there was a period when I was using DJs on the radio station. And so I'll tell you, the thing that got me was we had this one DJ. And I looked up and he was doing the five o'clock radio mixes. Everybody was going crazy. The parties were dope. We started flying to different cities. And I was like, wow, if I can do all this on the side, maybe it's what I should be doing. And um, and I had to really think about it, you know, because, you know, party business is not, it's not something that you, you can easily get into and kind of maintain. You got to really have a hustle to make that yeah. happen. And, and I realized that I wanted something bigger. I wanted to have a corporation. I wanted to have something that, that was tangible. And I knew that I wanted to write books at some point. And so the first thing I said was, you know, I, I'm going to step out and just, just start writing books. And during that time period, there was a lot of stuff going on at the company. And I was like, you know what? Like, if I can make 15000 a night doing parties, you know, if I do a couple of parties, I've matched my salary, right? You know, so... So why not just step out on faith and live in your gifts? And I tried it. Um, I was scared. I'm going to lie. I was like, but I had, I was vested day one. So I had some money sitting there and I knew that if, if, if nothing else, I could start a second career and that would make it happen. And so that's the part is you got to not be scared to use that gift that God gave you. And I think a lot of people are scared. Yeah. They, they run around in fear and you can pay your bills and use the gift. You're going to have tough times. It's not going to always be, you know, like up here, but you can do both. And you have to, you have to take that step out and do it. What do you feel like your biggest gifts are? <laughs> um, well, first and foremost, and it's going to sound crazy. Um, I think relationships is really good for me. Like 
from just my relationship with my daughter and my wife, I have figured out how to get resounding peace in relationships, regardless of how difficult they are. I think I'm, a, I'm the type of person that walks in the room and is a uniter for everybody. You know, like whatever I'm doing is the way that people are going to come together. And people respect that and they really love it because they know when they hear my name, there's either going to be some money or, or a great opportunity or a good time. And so I think that that's, that's a quality that is, is hard to find. You know, a lot of people piss people off more so than they make people happy. Yeah. I'm a person that when people are around me, they get happy. They love it. And I, and I can't explain it. It's just a gift. I think that um, I think outside the box a lot and I'm at peace with myself. Often I find a, a very strong center. I mean, me and me and a friend of mine, uh, Veronica Torres, were talking about this. Just that that ability to know when to calm yourself and how to calm yourself and how to make yourself go up. And like for me, you know, my fitness right now, it's it's something that I know that is an anchor for my ability to go up and down. And so I've learned how to manage that peace, um, that peace of, you know, can I have peace of mind? And then I'm just a creative dude. I can do films. I can do pictures. I just did a photo shoot on the weekend. It's, it, God has given me this weird talent and gift to have an eye for those things that are really beautiful. And so um, I'm gradually trying to make that part of my next 10 years of my life to do things that I love and appreciate. And, and that gives me the energy and motion to motivate other people. I love how you take a hold of these are what my gifts are, because I feel like so many people and I know I had struggled right to not only I always felt like there were things I was gifted in. But then if I would say it, it felt like I was bragging about it. Right. Yeah. Instead of just saying, no, this isn't bragging. This is just something I, I am good at because I feel like I'm good at relationships as well. I'm good at bringing people together. I'm good at like not. And I can rock the boat if I need to, but yeah. I'm also good at just like, it's all right. It'll be okay. And I think in order for us to step, like you said, in order for us to step out of that fairy, we have to own those gifts. You have to not just say, oh, am I? Like, if you are, you got to own it because that's the only way you'll be able to step out and, and right. do anything outside, you know, step out of your comfort zone. If you're if you're able to take hold and recognize and acknowledge your gifts. Well, you know, you're going to you're going to always have somebody that's a hater, you know, in terms of your gift. There's, there's always going to be somebody that, you know, that, well, you know, there's a jealous one. I mean, it could be a relative. It can be, you name it. I mean, there's always going to be somebody that they're going to be the hater in your life. They're going to be the one that puts you down. Even when you say something positive, they're going to have, you know, they're going to overtalk you. They're going to compete with you. And it could be a family member. It could be a business, but you got to recognize that. Um, there's this book that I, that, that, uh, one of my mentors gave me really early in my career. It's called 48 Laws of Power. And, and that book, it talks about different ways to navigate relationships. And at first when I started reading, I was like, this is a shady book. Like it, it talked about, you know, <laughs> like, you know, 48 one of the laws, laws of like never outshine the master, you know? And I was like, never outshine the master. What? But what it was saying was when you're in a setting and somebody is the obvious leader, you don't overtalk them. You don't try to one up them. You stay behind the leader and let them shine and you do everything you can to make them better. Right. And so um, it's little principles and things like that, that there's nothing that teaches you that in the hood. There's nothing that teaches you that in our in our culture. And that's where you have to read. I read between three and four books a month. And that stuff gives me the courage to kind of go, OK, I got to do this. 
and and it you you know it, it also is a thing that makes you see other things that you can do you retired from corporate after your daughter was born right or was it before it was after, after right? my dad died no after zoe was born oh no it was before it was before, it was before. So, yeah because I know you met Veronica at, at Bilo. Yeah. And, you know, got married and everything. But how did, when you got married and then when you guys had Zoe, how did that shift your perspective? And what did that make you, well, I guess let me just, I'm trying, let me say the, how I want to say it. How did that shift your perspective and in regards to what you were doing when you guys had Zoe? Yeah. Um, so my wife, Foxy. <laughs> <laughs> That Foxy Mama, I love her to death. She's you know, awesome. I love her she, too. She and I were just friends at first. You know, like like we hung out and we talked about stuff and we just got real close. And then we kind of had this period where we kind of broke off because I was going through stuff. Like I, I, I had been married and I was like gone through a divorce and then we came back together. And I think when we came back together, that was when, you know, we recognized we loved each other. We just was like, okay, but do we get married right now? Like, what do we do? It's kind of like that excitement, like, Yay, best friends are in the same room. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Where are we going to play, right? And uh, and we played. And then Zoe, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're such and, a dork. <laughs> and for me, I felt like, um, you know, when I was 13, I prayed for a family. You know, I was like, God, you know, our family is great. We have a lot of things, but all this, these drugs and this alcohol and all stuff is making it hard. You know, one day, God, I just want you to give me my own family. Bless me with a family and show me how to take care of them. And so to me, that was a sign that this was my opportunity, that I had been saved all these years from other relationships and other things to not get so deeply embedded in something that I couldn't have a family. And she was like the vessel to my family. So for me, like when I when we first, uh, when Zoe was, I think, I'm trying to think when she was first, it was before she was first born, I kind of came off the road. I just started kind of getting out and speaking more and traveling and I would get in the car and I would drive to different cities and go speak and do stuff and come back. And uh, it changes you because you want to be home. Like I remember when I first started, I would just, you know, take a flight, stay, you know, speak. And I would wake up the next morning and get on the flight. When once Beto got pregnant, I was like, yo, as soon as I'm done speaking, I'm out. And I would drive places just so that I knew that I had transportation to come back. And I had a road manager at first. And I mean, he would drive me. He would make sure that, you know, we hit the road. I spoke. And then after I got off that stage, we got in that car and we were out. And so it makes you, if you love your family, if you want the, if you want a family, you will change to align with what is needed to make that family great. And now I've done that and I've done it consistently over and over. I had to do it in other ways as our relationship progressed. This is our 10 year anniversary this year. Oh my gosh, already? Yeah, December 23rd, 10 wow. years. <laughs> so I know that you've taken your daughter a lot of places with you and I know she's seen a lot of things that you've, you've done. So what are the things that you try to, that you and Vero try to instill in her in regards to what you guys are doing and in regards to maybe how you grew up versus how you want her to see the world and how, how yeah. you want her to grow up? I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, um, she's both African-American and Latina. And so we had to instill in her the fact that she's two types of women and that um, with that comes a heavy responsibility both to the community and to herself to be the best of, of both. 
and understand the culture and not ignore the culture, not overlook the culture. And so we, we spent an enormous amount of time making sure that she understands where she came from. Um, and we take her home. I take, I've taken her to the hood. I've taken her AA meetings, you know, and she's like, daddy, I'm scared. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just telling you there's another world. You know, you got to see this world because you can't be scared. And I think what we've done is, is we've kind of created this mindset for her that she has no limits. She's a STEM, STEAM, art student, music, math, science. She loves all of it. I mean, today she painted a picture for a class and I looked and I was like, that's baller. Like it, it, it was really beautiful. And then, you know, she makes hundreds in math and hundreds in science as a little girl. And she's in a, a STEAM program um, at SMU. And so what we try to teach her is that, yes, the world has, you know, these kind of preconceived notions, but don't let that stop you from being the best that you can be. You know, go get it. That is really awesome because it's so, what about, okay, so let me, you were talking earlier about owning land and yeah. how we weren't taught. Like, are you, are these the things, are you teaching her in regards to finances? Because those are things that are not taught in school. Are you, ta- are you teaching her, like, these are the things that we want to start you, you know, we want you to start learning now and how yeah. finances work and how to generate wealth and how like kind of all of those things. So she doesn't have to struggle growing up trying to figure these things out, like so many of us learning these things way too late. Yeah. So I've taught her the street way of making money and I've taught her the, I guess, institutional way of making money. I took her to the bank for the first time. I think she was like six. and. I took all the change in the house and we put it in a container and we went to the bank and I, you know, I introduced it to my banker and my banker was just this wonderful patient lady who helped me start my business, you know, helped me get all the stuff that I needed for my first book. And we sat there with the banker and rolled quarters. And then, you know, the banker said, okay, how much do you want to deposit in the bank? And she looked at me and she goes, daddy, how much should I put in the bank? And I said, well, what do you know? She goes, well, in the Bible, you're supposed to tie 10%. Because somehow she learned the Bible really early. I did not put that in her, but one or two of the schools that she went to really put some things in her. Mm-hmm. I said, well, then do 2%, 10%. And so she did. And so we continue to put money in the bank. I also taught her how to put money in a you know, coffee can, under the mattress, you know, other places for emergencies and, and where, to, where to hide your money, where to put your money. When I say hide, I don't mean hide it from anybody, but hide it so that when you need it, you have a, a space to go and, and get it. I've shown her a safety deposit box. She's seen that. But I think the most amazing thing to me is because my grandfather, he he has like almost 700 acres um, that's been in our family for 165 years. Um, We took, I took her up there last summer and my uncle who's like 87 years old was like, we got to go out there. We got to go on the land. So I was like, all right, so we go on this land. Right. And my wife and my daughter, it was like amazing. They never seen anything like that before. I mean, 600 acres is, is absolutely amazing. Just land. And we walked the land. We walked, you know, part of it. Like some of us, I was like, we can't walk without guns, you know, because there's wild animals and stuff. But we walked the land and they got to see oil wells and they got to see, you know, different things. And I think that someone has to make the commitment to make sure that things are in place. I'll tell you one thing that my dad taught me, which I, and, and I plan to do for her, is if you can leave your kid a paid off house, that is the beginning of generational wealth. And you don't need to, you know, a lot of us spend too much money on houses. Mm -hmm. You can give them a basic house 
you know, something that's 200,000, 400,000, depending on where you are, Cali is different. Right. But if it's paid off, just imagine just if you never had to pay rent or mortgage for the rest of your life. That Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. That's and so huge. those are the kind of things that families should pass down to their kids. It don't matter. Even if it's a, if it's a trailer home, it don't matter. Pay something off for your kids and give it to them so they never have to pay rent or mortgage. Because rent and mortgage makes guys like me rich. Yeah. When you pay me rent, I'm paying off a property. And that's yeah. another way, right? You, you get a property and let somebody else pay it off for you by paying you rent. Lord, yes, that's so true. So those um, are things we have to teach our, our kids, you know, and kind of yeah. instill in them and show them, okay, you know, I know it looks big baller to have a car with rims and all that other stuff. And I'll give you a perfect example. I have a condo that I'm going to be selling soon. And uh, I remember when I got this condo, I had a choice of a, a BMW convertible or that condo. So that was in uh, 2006, right? So now if you look at the value of, no, it was 2000. Yeah, 2006. If you look at the value of a 2006 two-door convertible BMW, the value is less to nothing, right? Yeah. The value of that condo has tripled. Oh, I would so, have done the same thing too. Right. So, so no, I don't have that baller car, right? I didn't get the baller car, but guess what I have now? I have an asset that I can sell. And it's worth three times as much over time than when I got it. That you car would not be worth that. It sounds so simple, right? It just, it does sound so simple and it can be, but when, you know, there's so many in our communities that just aren't even taught that simple thing that makes right. such a huge difference. You have written two, you self-published two books. You've spoken across the country. And I actually remember when you went to West Africa, because I remember you posting about it. And that everything. was a scary trip. That was a scary, that was a dangerous area. What area were you in? I was in Liberia and they had just come out of 14 years of war. Oh my gosh. No joke. I just had a guest on the podcast who is an immigrant from Liberia. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. She immigrated wow. her and her, her family moved here when she was um, in elementary school to get away from the war, to get away from. Yeah. That is so crazy. What, like speaking in all these places, obviously it changed when Vero got pregnant and everything. What would you say? your most valuable lessons were while you were traveling and speaking? You know, there's a saying that people have that the world is round, not flat. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> the world is round, not flat. Yeah. And it sounds like a stupid thing, right? But what it means is that you can travel the world and you can see all types of things. Like if you, if you think about it, a box has these little parameters that kind of keep you inside, but a circle, you can just go around and around, right? Right. But that's the, that's what I learned is that the world, there's so much to offer and so much to see. And and the other thing is that um, when I went to Africa, I've never been so praised. I mean, I, I was praised growing up, but I've never been so praised in my entire life. Like, there's a picture that I have where I went to this orphanage because this guy, he was like, you got to come to this orphanage. It's the city that I grew up in. Please come. I was like, okay, cool. You know, I didn't, I didn't think of it. Went to this orphanage and like literally when we rolled up in the van, when I got out the van, it was so crazy. Like you would have thought that I was like 50 Cent or somebody, you know, some celebrity because all the little kids ran to me. Like nobody else, they all ran to me. And I was like, what did I do? Like, I, I didn't know. <laughs> and they literally were like hugging me and following me everywhere I went. And I was like, God, like what? What, what did I do to, you know, and I'm standing there like, what did I do for this to happen? 
And then somebody explained to me that they never saw young guys like me. Like I was young compared to the people that were coming there. And so to see me was like, oh, wow, it gave them hope. And so what I also realized is that um, our lives here might be technically challenging or hard, but if you can get out of the, if you can get out of the hood, you can go somewhere and give somebody else hope. And that's to me, that's that's dope. <laughs> that's really powerful, you know, to be able to give hope to other people. Yeah. In whatever way. Um, I never said what you do. You're technically you're the CEO of Incredible Brand Media. And you work with a lot of different people, but you were telling me about a family that you worked with that was on the Ellen show, the Daniels family. Daniels. So please like, tell me more about the Daniels family and how you worked with them. So, so last year I got this call from one of my cousins and I was like, yo, this family just won a million dollars on the Ellen show. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I mean, Cali. I was like, Oh, that's dope. You know, like that's, that's really good. You know, Ellen, I love Ellen's, uh, giving heart, like the way she gives away stuff. I mean, yes, we all come into criticism and fire for certain things, but you can't you can't knock the fact that she's she really does give and she really does like change lives. And so this family had come on. They came on four times, and the first time they came on, it was one of her little competitions, right? It was like an elf competition where they had to dance and do a little video. They did the video. So they won and they brought him on. Well, their backstory was so interesting because the father had four boys and three of them he had raised mostly on his own. And and they had come together. They had been through some struggles, didn't have like the best careers, but were really good people. And every chance they got, they always gave to someone else. And so they did the elf thing and they gave him some gifts like at Walmart and different places. And they went with them to kind of film it, right? Just kind of. Well, while they were filming and, and, and with them at Walmart, the wife turns and gives part of her gift to some lady who didn't have money in line. And so they were like, wow, you know, it really blew them away. So Ellen had this connection at General Mills with Cheerios. And, uh, and, and Cheerios wanted to, you know, do kind of like a do good for the community type of thing. You give and help somebody else, you know. And they loved the family. So the family came back on again and they were talking to him. So Ellen gives them this check for like a half million dollars. And they go, they go crazy. The wife starts crying. Like, oh my God. (laughs) So then she comes back and and like three seconds later, she says, well, you know, my staff was watching you and in your giving spirit and we realize you love to give. And so we're going to give you another half million dollars to just give away. Wow. So these are people who are not used to having like millions of dollars or, you know, shoot, $100,000 a year, $200,000. They live in L.A., right? It's, yeah. You know, it's just hard. So um, they got in touch with me. They wanted me to help them with their branding. They wanted me to help them kind of create some multiple streams of income. But it was kind of like a basic class, right? Can you teach us the basics so that we can get there? And now the husband has a book that he's we're almost done with. Um, he's going to launch it uh, first of the year about how to raise kids. And it's, it's phenomenal. And he's doing a challenge with it to teach, kind of help people anchor. So anyway, long story short, the first challenge from Ellen was to give away the half million dollars. So I had to help them come up with a list of ways and, and different things to do to give away money. And I wanted them to give some away in Dallas, but it was so far they couldn't bring a camera crew. So they brought this one lady in and they paid for part of her college education. And so then while I was out there, I think the most phenomenal day of it all was there was this one day where they went into a grocery store and they paid for everybody's groceries. And I was like, I mean, that was one of those moments where I actually felt 
felt like I was part of something that was way bigger than me because people had these loaded baskets of just groceries. And I mean, it was in, um, God, I can't think of where it was. Just because we're talking, I can't think of the name of the neighborhood. But it was a neighborhood that people needed help, you know? And they went into Ralph's and just, they were like, people standing in line. And all of a sudden, they just stood at the end of the line and were like, hey, we're the Daniels family. And we just want to give away, you know, uh, some do good for some people. And so today, we're going to buy everybody's groceries. And they they pay for groceries. And then the first person in line... Not only did they pay for her groceries, but they helped her out and gave her um, like some additional money afterwards. And they gave they, they gave a whole elementary school tennis shoes for the kids that really didn't have shoes. I mean, they did some dope stuff. And they just for me, that was for Incredible Brand. That was truly what I call branding because, you know, you can work with celebrities. I've worked with celebrities. You know, I've worked with a couple of recording artists. But this was just an average family that was taking it to the next level and had done, you know, everything they could to just make it and survive. And somebody recognized the good in them and gave them the money to do better. And now to me, that was, it was just phenomenal. And so I got to spend some time in LA doing that. That's awesome. And the, I think the best kind of branding is when it's true to who you are, right? Like you can't, yeah. you have people that try and do all these things, but it's not true. So the branding falls flat and you're just like, yeah, yeah, sure. That's who you are. But when it's true to who you are and what you're trying to do. That just elevates it. And, and that's what connects with people. And that's what we try to do with Incredible Brand is we really try to help people find who they are, good or bad, no matter what it is. I want to help you find that piece so you can use that piece in your life. Because nothing feels more complete than really being yourself. Like, you know, um, I was watching this one guy. Um, I can think of his name. He's like a motivational speaker. But he wears T-shirts everywhere, right? And uh, and it's really funny because he's been in like executive meetings and, and big negotiations, and he walks in with a T-shirt. Everybody else is suited and booted, but he's got on his T-shirt, right? And he's it, for him, it's like a joke because he knows how much money he has. He knows what he brings to the table, but because he knows who he is, because he's figured out who he is, he don't care what they think. Yeah. And I think that's an that's a powerful place to be. When, and I don't mean in a negative way, but in a positive way, when you can feel so good about who you are that you can come to the table and not worry. Because that's what most people do. They come to the table and they're worried about, oh, they're going to figure out my insecurities. They're going to know that I don't have this. Nah, man. Take off that mask. Be yourself. And if they don't like it, too bad. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, so that kind of actually feeds into what I wanted to, because you're, you're, really getting ready for 2021, right? Yeah. And you have this new challenge that you said focuses on using your energy to make your life better called kinetic elevation. So what is kinetic elevation and what are you trying to do for 2021, not only for yourself, but for like, what does this challenge entail that you are trying to do for people, for yourself and for other people? Yeah. So, um, so let me take a step back. My, my last book was called hashtag get out of my way. It's available on Amazon. And, uh, and the first book before that, just crazy, right? These books are so crazy. Like you, you go through this process, right? Well, I decided about a year ago that, um, I wanted to help people really get 2020 vision and like to take their lives to another level. And I stopped writing books to work, write workbooks so that we could kind of walk through, create masterminds. Um, mastermind groups are groups where you take the 
the best people at what you think you need and you put them together to collaborate to help you get to the to finish line faster. And that's one of the things I do is I try to help people reach their peak, peak performance so that you don't spend your life, you know, trying to get to what you want. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we only have 27,000 days on Earth, right? Because we only have 27,000 days, you don't waste any of them. So I try to help people get there. So kinetic elevation is, is sort of a new chapter in my exploration of how to get peak performance. In science, there's this concept called kinetic energy. Kinetic energy is the energy of motion. And so what I believe is when you, when you are active and you are in motion, when you're making stuff happen, that's when you can elevate. But in order to elevate, you have to make something happen. You can't sit back. You can't have the potential. And there's another thing called potential energy, and it just means energy at rest, right? Well, potential energy doesn't do anything. Yeah. You sit there and you do nothing, but you got all this potential. You got all the ability to do something, but you waste it. So I decided to call this challenge the kinetic elevation challenge or the elevation challenge it's because I want to teach people how to elevate and I want them to bring that energy to the table so they can help other people and help themselves. Or how are you working with people? Is it something you're doing virtually? Is it something you're doing? I mean, I guess I would uh, assume, but I don't want to assume incorrectly yeah. that it's something you're doing virtually just because of the times that we're in right now. So it's going to start virtual, but, um, but once we get um, a little further along and, and the mastermind groups are built where so Jess, if I can get a, a mastermind group of 25 people, right? The mastermind groups will actually meet at resort locations. Um, like here in Texas, there's this one we were just at, uh, La Contera. It's really pretty, beautiful resort, has all these accommodations. And you could literally sit in your room, get your coaching, get your interaction, and then go do you. So there will be some of that. Um, there'll also be some virtual meetings where we figure out what the menu is and your food is ordered, right, as part of your package and delivered during the meeting so that you don't have to stop and think about those things. So my goal is initially to virtually just go through a free, like, 15 days of just, hey, have you decided to make that change? Have you decided to make that shift? And give you 15 things to kind of anchor you to move toward what it takes to have that energy in motion. And then after that, we're going to move it into seminar and mastermind groups to really help you get there and finish fast and finish strong. When are you planning to start these? Um, it will when start, are you at the start end of November. End of November? End of November? Yeah, yeah. We were going to start earlier, but because everything is virtual, it's really hard to keep people's attention. There's so much going on. Well, especially right now, right? Yeah. Like we're literally recording this and we don't have, by the time this comes out, we will hopefully know who the president of, is, but right. as of right now, we don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that is just like that. People don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 days. The other part of what I'm doing here is I'm not going to make this so heavy. Like people see me work out. They see, I know I have a workout piece called Will Murphy Fit, right? And I hear people all the time, Will. I saw what you did in your workouts. I can't do that. And I just start laughing. I'm like, look, I'm 52 years old, right? If a 52-year-old dude can do what I do, you can do it too. And what I realized in my training, because I decided to get certified, is that your body will do what you force it to do. The body was built to react to your desire. And once I realized that, I was like, that means anybody can change. But most people have never had someone challenge them to change. 
Yeah. So my goal in this is not to give people a bunch of things that are so hard they don't do it, but to give them some things that inspire them, that make them feel their inner genius and begin to move out of that space where they are. But more than anything, just just give them the desire to want to have something different. What do you see in credit brand media and in this other mastermind thing? Like where, where do you see this in the next two to five years? So I'll give you an example. There's a lady that we shot over the weekend and it was for a magazine shoot, right? And it was funny because the magazine sent a photographer out. He took his photos. She was just under impressed. And so I said, you know, I can either have a shooter or I can shoot it. And she only trusts me, right? So we shot the photos. And I mean, like literally every day she's calling me and thinking, she goes, oh my God, I've never looked or felt that beautiful. And so I think part of like, you know, for me, part of what happened was when I wrote that first book, I had the opportunity, you know, it was a wealth code, it was my first book. I had the opportunity to, to sell a lot of copies and get, you know, social media pub, get a little bit of, you know, but I didn't go for trying to have a bunch of people and followers. I just was literally like, I want to help people change their lives. Mm-hmm. What I want is to help some people with powerful brands, powerful ideas, reach more people. And together, once we reach those people to turn the merchandise piece of it, whether it's, you know, like she redecorates homes, her average home is a million dollar home. So, you know, you, you redecorate a million dollar home, you're coming up on some cheats. Yeah. So that is part of the branding, though. She needed somebody to anchor her look and feel so that that person that owns a million dollar home will want to do business with her. And that's my goal is to, to build a, a beautiful suite of really interesting clients that are making money, that need the branding, and that understand that they've got that gift. And so that's the that's the business side of it. The money side of it is sky's the limit. I really want to see it blow up because I do believe that there's a space for building brands for people that is larger than what we see for celebrities. I mean, we, we spend so much time jocking celebrities, but celebrities are only like this percentage of the world. There yeah. are normal people, regular people, who just have great companies and they need that branding. And I want to get some of that pot. What are, what are, what are the things that you look for when you, when somebody wants to work with you, if you want to work with them? Um, the first and foremost, I look for how honest are they? Do they keep their word? You know, can, can it, because when, when I put them out there, you know, I have this one person, well, I'll give you an example. My wife, when she got her last promotion, I just, Casually put it out there and 8,000 people looked at it, right? So I'm like, wow, she got 8,000 views. Dude, she's like, I was so excited for her when I saw that promotion that she's got. She, yeah. that was you know, and I'm awesome. like, you know, she got 8,000 views about her promotion, right? So I know, you know, when I put somebody else out there for a business, it's going to go. So I can't have somebody that's not going to follow through. I got to have somebody who's, you know, honest. And even if, even if they've made a mistake, what I like is people that are so like, honest that even when they make a mistake, they still come to you and say, I made a mistake. So that part is really important that they be legit, that they really come to the table and be like, Hey, you know, this is what I did. And this is where it is. The second thing is I'm looking for people who have unique gifts, unique talents that are marketable. Not everybody has that eye. I have an eye for certain looks, certain feels and certain talents. And when I see those things come together, I want to be able to help to promote those things. So they got to have them first and foremost. That's really important to have that little gift and also to be comfortable with their gift. 
And then the last part is they just got to want to, they got to want to make some money. Yeah. Cause there's no point if they don't want to make money. Right. <laughs> I mean, we can do it for free, but why? Like what, what? Okay. So then what kind of kinetic energy is that? That's, that's potential energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I feel like, I, I understand more why, but I'm going to ask you anyways. When I asked you yeah. to describe your life in one word, you said madman. Yeah. Why did you choose that word? I feel like you're kind of already describing why, but why did you choose so, that word? Um, there's a show that used to be on called Mad Men. And, you know, it's funny. There's like <clears throat> a couple of shows I could think of that really kind of describe my life. But Mad Men is one of them because of the business side, you know, and the suits and all that and the, the advertising mindset. But I think my life is one of those things that there's there's all, there's so many creative moments and there's always something going on. Like I never know what comes next. Uh, and I think that I'm constantly trying to make it go to the next level, you know, and, I, and I'm constantly inspiring people to go to the next level. And I think that um, I think that it takes a madman to really think that he can go to the level beyond the odds, no matter what's going on to stay positive, you know, to stay encouraged, even when negative things happen. I mean, right while I was traveling for like the, the Daniels family, my, um, my godson committed suicide and it broke my heart. Like it just, it, like I, this little kid had been with me since he was like three years old. He's come to my house and just, you know, he was the first little boy that I ever thought like, God, he's just like my son, you know, and people would always say, that's, is that your son? Cause he'd been in my house every, every weekend. Yeah. And and so it was one of those moments where I realized that I have no control over what happens next. And to me, that's what a madman is. It's a person that you know the values, you know what you bring to the table, but you have no control over what comes next, but you got to be ready. And I think that's that's what that show taught me was, you know, you got to be ready. You got to be ready for whatever happens and you got to expect that life never gets to a perfect point. It just keeps going and you'll have better, but never perfect. Yeah. I I, th I agree with you on that. First of all, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that you're that he passed away. So I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah. I think you're completely right in regards to we always are striving for perfection, but perfection gets in the way of good enough or gets in the way of so progression. Uh, per perfection often gets in the way of progress because we're striving for something that's never going to be achieved. And then you then you end up in that where you're not doing anything, right? You end up getting frozen because you're like, but it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be, I want it to be perfect. And then you yeah. end up doing nothing at all. And I struggle with that too. Don't get me wrong. I struggle with it too. Like last night I was shooting a video in here and I was like, this is the first video I've done in a while. And as I shot it, I could feel that, that harsh criticism. I mean, we just rebuilt this room out for shooting. We got two more spaces that are just set up for shooting, but I didn't shoot until they were perfect. You know what I mean? And and nowadays you don't have to have a perfect room to shoot. You can shoot wherever. It don't matter. But that piece, you got to work yourself past that that desire for it to be perfectionishly built. You know, I'm a perfectionist. It's got to be perfect before I can do anything. Nah, you got to just go for it. If I would have waited for perfection, I wouldn't have launched the podcast. Yeah, you wouldn't. Right. No, because I, yeah. I was I was holding myself back. I was like, well, I want to do this. I want to do. And then my friends are like, just do it. So when people ask me, like, well, if I want to start a pot, I'm like, and then I'm like, just start, just start. 
don't like wait for everything because if you do, you're, you're going to talk yourself out of it. And if I didn't have friends that are like, no, just do it. And gave me like, even when the launch party, I was like, oh, should I do a launch party? And somebody's like, okay, look, I have this space free this date. Let's do it this date. And I was like, oh crap. That means like, I really have to do it now that I yeah. have a deadline, right? Once that deadline was in front of me, I was like, okay, now I get, okay, I got to do it. I got to do it. And here we are by the end of the year, 50 episodes later. I'm going to end the year with 50 episodes. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. But see how fast it happens. See how fast it happens. It, yeah, it just, it feels like it. Yeah. It just feels like a blink of the eye, but you know what? Well, I have never felt like I was supposed to do something more than doing yeah. this ever in my life. Never have I felt the the passion that I feel doing this. I like this is the one thing that I'm like, yeah, I'll be up at midnight if I need to to finish editing or or whatever. Yeah. And I'm okay with that, right? I, I won't like, oh no. I'm like, nope, gotta get it done. Let's do it. And it's been awesome because I get to hear all of these really amazing stories. I mean, I've known you for, like I said, what, 14 years. And the fact yeah. that there's oh, still no, things. No, no, no. Yes. Yes, I have. And the fact that I'm still getting to know you. Right. I think that's really cool. I'm still getting to know you after 14 years of already knowing a lot about you. So is there before I ask you the last couple of questions, is there anything else that you want to add? I just think that, you know, 2020 has been a rough year, but it was a balancing year. And I think that um, we really need to put some some time into planning for the future. But I also think that uh, a lot of people are going to get stuck. A lot of people are going to get stuck with that feeling like, oh, I can't do it. They're going to get overwhelmed. And I think that you need to you need to find people that can help. I mean, one of the reasons why. I'm doing the whole kinetic elevation thing is I really want people to know that you can't think this through, that you can get to the next level, that you can have some of the nice things you want in life, but there's got to be emotion and an energy around you that helps you get there. And whether it's people or whether it's, you know, I get up, I'm, I'm up by, my wife was making jokes with one of my boys last night about me being up at like 5.30 and 6 a.m., but I'm up that early because I know that that's a clean mindset time frame when I can work out and get it done and I can be consistent. And that consistency is helping me get over other things. So 2020, we have a lot of bad habits, things that have cropped into our lives. And if we want to get out of that space, if we really truly want to get out of that space, then we need to look around we need to get the help. We need to make the decisions. And we need to do it. And, I, and that to me, that's kinetic elevation. That's that's taking yourself to the next level, putting the energy into making it better. That's awesome. How can people find you? Website, social media, we'll make sure to also put it in the show notes so people can reach you. But if people want to, you'll start this kinetic thing after you'll before this this launches before this episode drops. But if people want to just get to know more information about you or if there's an opportunity to do get part of part of your programs or just inquire about your media services or anything like that. How can they reach you? So um, kinetic elevation is going to be something that is an ongoing program. 
it is something that I'm committed to. I finally found a theme and a name that makes sense for me. And I finally found something that I can, it kind of explains everything that I do, right? Because this is about energy. I'm all about that energy. And so uh, my website is Will with one L, Murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y.com. And if you just look up that name, you'll find my IG, you'll find all the other stuff. Incredible brand is a little bit different because it's the one thing that I kind of held on to for a while because I really wasn't sure who my client was. I really wasn't sure who I wanted to invest the time in. because every second you take away from you to focus on someone else, it's time that you don't spend on your own thing. And so I wanted, if I'm going to spend time away from my own stuff, I want to be investing in somebody that's, that's dope. That's got the, their thing together. And, um, and so incredible brand has been sort of a boutique thing that I've been doing since I left corporate America, but I didn't advertise and didn't promote. It's just starting to get a little bit of promotion because I've got stuff, projects that I've done that I love to talk about and just kind of, you know, tell people as a case study, you know, what they did. Yeah. Um, so incredible brand is uh, I N C R E D I brand media.com. Oh my gosh. Well, I love you so much. I seriously do. I'm so happy that you finally came on, but let me ask you the last couple of questions. Um, have you picked, have you picked up a new hobby since COVID has started? I feel like you're, I, let me tell you what I think. And then you can tell me if I'm right or not. Right. I feel like you probably have not picked up any new hobbies that you just have because you were already not necessarily going into an office. You've just focused more on working out and starting this new brand. Am I right? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I have. I picked up two new, really great hobbies. Okay. One of them is at a younger age, I was a sprinter, not a runner. And I had found myself, because of learning, you know, kind of planning to be a trainer, um, you learn different things about the body. And what that has taught me is the importance of like a pre-workout run. And so I have found a new hobby. Like I got tennis shoes and running shoes and I'm like, run. I'm like, wow, look at me. I'm up. My I'm laughing because run. that really goes into what I said about working out. So, yeah. <laughs> so it is working out, but it's a new piece. Like before it was just straight to the gym, pre-workout drink, boom, hit the weights. Now it's like, let me have a very clear run for like 10 to 15 minutes. The other thing is I'm starting to do a little bit more martial arts than I have in the past. And so I'm thinking about not competing, but actually making MMA sort of my like base, you know, but not necessarily competing, just having it as a way of kind of training myself to another level. And then the, the, the other thing that has been really like, you know, I, I I can't begin to tell you how much I love this, but what the pandemic did was I was lonely. I was here, you know, I wrote my last book here. My dad passed and then I start, I was trying to finish this book. My mom came to stay with us for a little while. And, did and your I dad passed during COVID? Before, no, 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 before COVID. Before, it was in like, like it's been a few years, but I was writing a book back then, right? So, okay, okay. So my mom came and stayed and, and different things happened during that time period. And I was literally here by myself. And, you know, my kid go to school, wife would go to work. I would work from home. And what COVID did was it brought us all home. And it it added this extra little notch that I think I, I, I fall in love with, again, my family. Because, you know, uh, even like this morning, you know, I finished working out 
and I look around and I'm like, okay, go to Chick-fil-A, get everybody breakfast, right? You know, make sure that certain things are taken care of. And and like even our our, our master bedroom for our anniversary, you know, just remodeling the whole thing and doing a lot of it by hand from paint to just, I've fallen in love with kind of making things family. That's awesome. And, uh, and, and, you know, with all the bad stuff that has happened, it feels so cool. Like on Thursdays, typically I'm barbecuing right now and having a good time, you know, I probably actually, you know what, now, now that I said it, I'll probably go throw some meat on the grill after I get done. I mean, by the time we're done, it's a little bit dinner time anyway. So I'm not taking any time. Tell that all. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, man. She she knows you. She, she's like, oh, that's just okay. Cool. <laughs> extra bottle. <laughs> you to pass me this extra bottle while you was talking. Uh, see, like, that New Zealand stuff on there. <laughs> see, this is why I love her. This is why I love her so much. <laughs> Last question. We start with wine and we end with wine. So what is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rosé? And do you have a particular kind? So brand-wise, I'm still brand shopping. But I'm really picky. I like red wine with uh, steak and dark meat. I'll do a little bit of Chardonnay just to kind of cool off in the afternoon sometimes. I like I like that cold taste. Um, and then I, I use white wine to cook like chicken and sometimes I'll throw it in my shrimp and then I have a glass with, it, you know, um, I love to have wine with meals. I think it is an, like, it's a big part of eating. I think you should have wine, you know, with your meal. It adds, it, it just adds a certain layer to the palate. And so that's, that's important to me. So I, I like all types of wine. Yeah. Well, um, you go to the website and you will see every wine that I've had for every interview. Oh, I love it. It'll tell I love you that. I love it. <laughs> okay. So I definitely want to try the one that you had today. Yes. Well, I will send you the, we're having like, I'll give you all the details once, once I, once I end this, but Will, I love you so much. I'm so glad we finally did this. I know. Thank you for waiting. <laughs> thank you for being patient. Uh, thank you for, for considering me. Uh, it's not often that people respect you enough to just consider you. So I thank you for that. And I toast you for that. Salud, my friend. I love you. <laughs> love you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Met podcast. For more information on Will and the various programs he leads, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chismet on our website, thewineandchismetpodcast.com. There you will find the names of the wines that I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on Instagram at The Wine and Chismet, Facebook at The Wine and Chismet Podcast, and Twitter at Wine Chismet Pod. Remember, if you want to hear more wine and cheese, please subscribe, rate, and review. Those five-star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.